All right, good morning, everyone. Is there anyone here who wants to be known as a man or a woman of God? All right, all right, you're in the right place. 1 Timothy 6, we got that first slide, here we go. We're in 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16 this morning. The Christian Standard Bible, CSB, got an app. We're going to learn about what it means to be a man or woman of God, so listen up. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So the call to young Timothy here right away is to be a man of God. In fact, he calls him that. Man of God. And this is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase is used. See, in the Old Testament, you see this title was reserved for people like David and Moses and Elijah. But here, young Timothy is called a man of God. Why? Because Timothy, regardless of his age, was faithfully following Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but the general tone and trajectory of his life, that it was all about Jesus. But this isn't just Timothy's call. Too many followers of Christ are sitting around stagnant and discontent and lazy, and they've bought into the lie that they'll never be a man of God, they'll never be a woman of God, so they don't even try. The reality is that all followers of Christ have the same Holy Spirit inside of them. And faithfully, steadily, not being perfect, but consistently pursuing Christ, over time, produces someone that both God and others recognize as men and women of God. So being a man or woman of God isn't just the call of a pastor like Timothy here. It's the call of all of us. So, if you're here and you want to be a man or a woman of God, here's what you need to know. It doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen without a few key things. And so the first one we see right here in verse 11, here's the strategy, so to speak, and it's what I'm going to call the replacement principle. He says, but you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Flee. Notice he doesn't just say, hey, stick around and fight ungodly things. Okay, get in the ring. No, he actually says, get out of there. Get out of that situation. Maybe even physically. You don't know how many times where I'm tempted by some sort of sinful 
action or thought, and I literally just go to another place. I go to another room, or I take a walk around the block, or something where I just physically flee. Get, get out of there. So that could mean fleeing in our mind. Could be, that could look many different ways. But we flee. We don't merely flee ungodly things. We pursue godly things in their place. If all we do is flee, we're just left empty with no aim in life and no joy. But if we flee from ungodly things and, and replace them with godly things, then, then we can be men and women of God. So we need to stop this so that we can do that. And so what, what is it calling us, what is Paul calling Timothy and, and by um, extension, us. What is he calling us to flee from? Well, we saw in the previous passage in chapter 6, 3 and 4, he addresses false teaching. So we need to flee false teaching. We need to flee the love of stuff. We saw in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, and we need to flee the love of money, six ten, as well as anything else that is not godly. But pursue what instead? So if we're supposed to pursue something else, what do we pursue? Instead of false teaching, we pursue true teaching. And so this list here in verse 11, he says, righteousness, godliness. Replace false teaching with right, godly teaching in your life. You know, some people take in shows and movies and music and podcasts that subtly or not so subtly subtly just teach them ungodly junk. And I think we need to do an inventory pretty often on the messages that we're being taught. Sometimes we just take stuff in and we don't even realize what we're letting into our minds and to our hearts. And we need to replace them with, with messages that are true and godly. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that anything, like any music or show that's not Christian is bad for you. That's, that is not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying there are some things that you're being taught through music and shows that are affecting you way more than you care to admit. So we need to replace those ungodly, false messages with good, godly messages. And so I want to, I, I think, no, I don't just think. I know that the Bible is living and active. It is the word of God. And so God desires us to live out his word in everyday life in really practical ways. So I just want to throw out some ideas of how you could replace those ungodly messages in your life with true godly messages. You know, I noticed that the show The Chosen, um, which, which is a really cool adaptation of the life of Christ from the Gospels, um, but they speak in modern day language, um, they just they just put the first season on Netflix. You can also just download the app and watch all the seasons. But um, that would be a great way to get some truth pumping through your veins. You know, some people have a hard time reading the Bible. But what if what if you got a Bible app and just had it read to you? You could. You could watch or listen to sermons, and, and certainly not just from anyone. They need to be from trusted, good teachers of the Word of God. And so I'll just name a few that I would recommend and am helped by. So Alistair Begg, not only solid, 
but a great accent too. Uh, but David Platt, Matt Chandler, I could recommend others as well. But I'd be happy too to talk through if you're like, ah, what about this person, that person? Well, let's talk about it. You listen to worship music. You listen to podcasts that really, that really point you to Christ. All sorts of different ways to just start replacing ungodly messages with godly messages in our lives. See, I, I really believe that the American church has gotten so far off track from the truth because Christians in America, by and large, have become pretty lazy at what they allow into their minds, into their hearts. But if we do this, if we get truth coursing through our veins, it safeguards us from elevating our feelings over what's true. So we need to pursue, it's saying here, pursue true teaching. Next, we need to pursue the love of God. So this list, he goes on and says faith and love. So we need to replace the love of stuff that he said earlier in chapter 6 with the love of God. So what if instead of the newest phone or those pair of shoes or that trendy water bottle or pair of uh, hey dudes, what if, what if you bought a new study Bible or a devotional or a journal or simply put that money into savings and spent the time you would have researching and researching and shopping and shopping on seeking God in prayer? You just pursue the love of God, replace the love of stuff with the love of God. Now, again, I'm not narrowly saying those things are bad, but you know when those things start to become God to us. And we pursue those things over God. We need to pursue the love of others. This list in verse 11 says love and gentleness. Well, this has to do with other people. We need to replace the love of money in our lives with the love of others. So what if, what if you're in a situation right now where you worked a little less overtime and made a little less money and spent that time investing in your spouse? or in your kids, or in your friends. We pursue the love of others. What if the time that we spent worrying about money, or lack thereof in our lives, was used to listen to and pray with someone who's hurting? What ungodly, sinful thing do you need to flee from and then what could you replace that ungodly thing with that's God-honoring? So let me just share with you something that I've been working on. So the ungodly thing in my life recently has just, I'm realizing I I'm, tend to be overly critical, both in my mind and outwardly. So instead of just telling myself, hey, stop being critical, stop being critical, stop being critical, and forcing myself to notice the beauty and the good in things and in other people, and force myself to genuinely encourage instead of discourage. Now certainly, at times, I need to, I need to bring my opinion to bear, right? I need... I, Things need correction and realignment sometimes, but not nearly as much as I think. Others that I'm walking alongside right now who are struggling with sexual sin, 
See, they're looking to replace that sexual sin with things like working out or learning a musical instrument or picking up a hobby, things to, to really focus that energy on. So there's the main strategy he gives us in this passage for becoming a man or a woman of God. It's replacement. Now, the action is to fight the good fight. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. The main call to Timothy in this passage, and it's, and it's reiterated several times throughout this letter, is to fight the good fight. Now, the end of verse 13, verse 14 says, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure. What's he talking about? He's talking about this command to fight the good fight. So let's talk about what this even means. And I've talked about this before, but I want to be very clear. So fight, when you're fighting, it's an active battle against something. And so we saw in chapter 1, that it, and we actually have seen this several times throughout this book, that this is against false teaching and against Satan. So we need to fight against false teaching and against Satan and his schemes, and we need to fight the good fight. So you're fighting for the right things. It's good, things that matter most to God, which are, as we've seen in this book, the truth of the gospel. And we need to do it in a manner of love. So fighting the good fight, just have this working definition, is to actively show and share the truth of Jesus in love. And we do this knowing full well that the victory is already guaranteed because of Christ's triumph over death. It's always a good fight because the victory is sure. It's sure. See, Jesus didn't just die on a cross. He rose from the grave. So we fight the good fight knowing that we will win. We show and share the truth of Jesus in love, knowing that as we share the truth with others, and if we genuinely try to do it in love, that his word doesn't return void. Now, Timothy was a pastor. His job was to show and share the truth of Jesus in love. So let's just imagine for a second that if, if in this room only I showed and shared the truth of Jesus in love, here's what would happen. We'd have a lot of bored, purposeless, spiritually lazy church spectators, okay? And we would also have not many people that are exposed to Jesus because I'm only one person. Together, we influence so many more people. Think of it like this. So many of you know I enjoy watching football. You'll get this analogy even if you don't know a lick about football, I think, okay? So the quarterback... Um, it's kind of the, the captain of the team, right? So if, and there's 11 people on a team that go out on a football field at once. If only the quarterback goes out there and the, the other 10 guys stay on the sideline, he's going to get demolished. I don't care if you're the best quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes. Then you're still going to get demolished, right? You need the whole team. The quarterback runs the offense, but he's nothing without his blockers and his receivers and his running backs. See, we need to get in the game too. We need to fight the good fight. And too many believers are just kind of watching from the sideline. They, they come to church. They learn the plays. They learn the word. They train. Maybe they go to a Bible study or something. They, they practice, but then they just sit on the sideline. While the team is, is, is trying to operate with just 10 people. And, you're like, and they're like, come on, get in the game, right? We need 11. And too many Believers just go to church, they learn truth, and maybe even read the Bible and attend a group. 
when they have an opportunity to show the truth of Jesus or share the truth of Jesus with someone. They're like, I'm out. Or they live and they speak like they don't even know Jesus. And I'm not even talking about like full-blown sharing the gospel with someone, although that is important and needed. I, I mean, do you even talk to anyone about your church or invite them or Do you even just take time to care for people and encourage people, maybe at your work or just people that you're around often, like Jesus cares for us? Do do those that are around you unmistakably know that you follow Jesus? Men and women of God fight the good fight. They devote their lives to showing and sharing the truth of Jesus in love. However, however, showing and sharing the truth of Jesus in love inevitably happens if you have the right mindset and if you have the right fuel. So let me break those down. What's the right mindset? Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called. Take hold of eternal life. The mindset is to embrace your new identity and to embrace your true home. So if you're in Christ, you, are a, you, you actually are a man or woman of God right now. This is who you are. You have a new identity because Christ took hold of you. This is dependent on him, not on you. So when it says take hold of eternal life, it's not that you don't already have eternal life if you are in Christ. You do the moment you repent of your sin and believe in him. The call here is to embrace or to take hold hold of who you are now. You are eternally a child of God. You are not a child of self. You're not a child of sin any longer. It's all about your mindset. It's all about your mindset. I've been catching myself lately in my own thoughts saying to myself, Matt, you're an idiot. Matt, you're an idiot. False. I I'm a dearly loved, spirit-indwelled child of God. Idiot is who I was before Christ. That is not who I am anymore. And we need to think of ourselves not as idiots and not as anything else that the devil would have you just beat yourself up about. Instead, we need to see ourselves as children of God who have the spirit of the living God living within us. If you think of yourself as a man or a woman of God, your thoughts and your actions will surely follow. And it's not arrogant to think of yourself as a man of God or a woman of God. Why? Let me show you. Paul reiterates it. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already reached the goal. I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Why? Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He's like, This is why it's not arrogant for me to think of myself as a man of God because Jesus took hold of me. He's the one who qualified me. So it's not me going, look at me. No, it's me going, look at him and look what he did. So if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, embrace your new identity, but also embrace your true new home. If you're in Christ, this is not all there is. Earth is not your true home. Heaven is. We need to think of and and long for our true home in heaven often. 
This is what it means to take hold of eternal life right now. And so I want to just throw out three kind of warning lights that your mind might be too set on earth and not set enough on heaven with Jesus. Do you feel an obsessive need to control every little detail of your life? Control. Perhaps you're holding too tightly to this earth. Do you feel an obsessive need to control every detail of your life? Second, do you choose to fight for comfort at all costs? Do you choose to fight for comfort at all costs? Comfort. Perhaps you're holding too tightly to this earth. Third, do you meticulously set up layers upon layers of security for yourself or your home or your family? Security. Perhaps you're holding too tightly to this earth. Control, comfort, security. When you long for your true home, heaven, those things become less and less important. Listen to Paul again in Philippians 3, verses 18 to 21. For I've often told you, now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is what it means to take hold of eternal life. But how do we do that? How do we eagerly wait for our true home, heaven? Well, here's an idea. Imagine each environment that you're in in life. And imagine each activity that you do in life. Without brokenness. And with your best friend on their best day. So let me give you an example. And Robert, you'll love this one because you don't like this inherently. So imagine you're at a campfire. Imagine you're at a campfire. And... There was no smoke in your face, okay? There's no wind. There's no bugs, okay? Especially there's no CMs. I mean, what do you do about that? There's no strong wind. The sky is completely clear so you can see the stars. And then suddenly all the, the power goes out in your neighborhood if you live in the city so you can see the stars even better. It's just perfect. Imagine a campfire like that, but not just that. Imagine, imagine you're with someone, and you have this conversation that's incredibly funny and incredibly relaxing, but yet has some real depth talking about things that really matter as well. See, that's what heaven's going to be like, except even better. Imagine our broken environments with your best friend on their best day, with no sin stain, with nothing going wrong. Imagine being at work, and it's completely rewarding and satisfying, and there's no interpersonal conflict with other people at work. And you have the best boss and coworkers you could imagine. See, instead of letting 
our broken, sin-filled world discourage us? What if we let it instead help us long for our true home, heaven? What if we saw the brokenness and the, the beautiful things we do and we go, oh, that's, you know, that was fun and that was beautiful, that was good, kind of, but this thing came in and, and you know, just ruined it a bit for me. What, what if we just went, you know what, one day, nothing will ruin it. We longed for our true home, heaven. Men and women of God fight the good fight of faith, and they do, do this by devoting their lives to loving other people and, and lit, showing and sharing the truth of Jesus in love. However, we start doing that, and this happens inevitably if we embrace our new identity and our true home. And this inevitably happens if we have the right fuel or the right motivation, and the right fuel is to be obsessed with God. We see this in this passage. It's kind of strange if you're not familiar with the Bible. I probably read this earlier, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's what Paul does. But if you're reading this as someone who's never read it before, it's pretty weird. So let me read 13 and 16 again. He goes, in the presence of God, he was just talking about Um, how Jesus is coming back. So in the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So he's writing this letter. And at just the mention of God in verse 13, he can't help but stop and praise God. Okay, I think of it like the first time I watched a musical. Okay, you remember the first time you watched a musical. Maybe some of you haven't. You need to just because it's so strange. Um, I I actually enjoy musicals. I'm not knocking musicals, by the way. Um, But it's not what real life is like at all. Um, So they're going along. They're going along, and within a couple minutes, inevitably in a musical, they start singing about something random. You're like, why are you singing about that? I don't like that. Who does that, right? And they make it even transition really well. So you're like, oh, yeah, we all should be singing about it. And he's like, no, in everyday life, you're not going to start singing about that. That's weird. You're just dusting the floor. Why are you singing about it? But that's, that's what happens. Paul just stops, and he just can't help but like sing about Jesus. He practically breaks out into song. Why? Because Paul is obsessed with God. He he adores him. He loves him. He's amazed by God. So God is the fuel for Paul to give these commands to Timothy. You know, you won't be able to replace sin in your life with godly behavior if you're not obsessed with God. You won't be able to share and show the truth of Jesus in love if you're not obsessed with God. You, You won't fully embrace your new identity or your true home in heaven if you're not obsessed with God because genuine genuine obsession with God is the mark of a true man of God or woman of God. And so Paul here just praises God like God just walked in the room and he's so descriptive here. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, God is the king. No, he goes, no, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He speaks like someone who's literally looking right at God. And he's absolutely amazed by him. In verse 16, he says, To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. He can't help but just heap 
worship and praise on him. In verse 16, he says, who alone is immortal. Now, this doesn't mean that other people don't live forever. We do if we are in Christ. This means that no one else inerrantly is immortal. Like God always was and always will be immortal. We were pretty mortal until Jesus came on the scene. God holds the keys to life and death, and he's just absolutely amazed by that and amazed by him. And look how reverent he is. Verse 15, God will bring this about in his own time. He was talking about Jesus coming back, and he just reverently, humbly bows to God's timing. He's going to come back. But we trust his timing. In verse 15, he calls him the blessed and only sovereign. You know, other people might appear to have power. And any power that we even seem to have, we don't. Because God is sovereignly in control of all things. And he just stops and praises him for that. In verse 16, he says, Who lives in unapproachable light, and whom no one has seen or can see. And at first read, you're like, is that true? Well, it's a mystery here. It's a paradox about God. You know, in John 1.19, sorry, John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God. But then he says, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So, yes, God is completely unapproachable, yet. He can be approached through relationship with Christ. And yes, no one has ever seen God in his full glory, yet people have seen God through Christ. And so, Paul doesn't stop and try to explain this paradox. He's just in awe. He's in wonder. He, he has this great reverence at the mystery of God's nature because he's obsessed with God. And he's also comforted. As he, as he worships God and stops and just obsesses over him. So verse 13 says, God who gives life to all. So both eternal life and any truly satisfying life that's lived now comes from God. And what a comfort. God is here to help us truly live, not just survive. So I want to give you some more practicals. What's, what's it look like to obsess over God? Well, you could, you could study his nature in Scripture. A great simple way to do this is just to read Scripture and ask this question, what is God like? What is God like? He reveals, the Scripture reveals so many facets of who he is. How do we obsess over God? I would recommend it's a really short read, reading A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, and it just goes through the attributes of God. And he does it so beautifully. It's a classic. You could just spend some time adoring God, just saying, God, you are good. God, you are great. God, you are just. God, you are kind. God, you are holy. God, you are Father. You, could, you just go on and on and on. You could notice the greatness and beauty of God in nature or in the people around you. Right now, 
God's given us kind of a softball right now, right? Just look around. The leaves are gorgeous. Let those just move you to worship of the beauty of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You could spend time just telling Jesus you love him and you're amazed by him. And, and actually, I just want to pause right now and, and do that. So let's just, let's just close our eyes for a second. And I, I just want you, if you want to do it out loud, go for it. Or in your own mind and heart, just tell Jesus you love him. Jesus, I love you. I worship you. I praise you. Just adore him right now. Jesus, we do love you. And, and so if you, know, if you know, just sing along with me. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our, our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our, our hearts adore. Amen, amen. All right, I've got a few more things to say. But just, just let your life be like that. Don't let that be weird, what we just did. This is what it means to be obsessed with God. This is what it means to follow Jesus. At a... At a beautiful time. It was, it was so cool. Last weekend, I got to go on a men's retreat. We were down in Arkansas, and it was just beautiful where we were at, and I just, I was adoring Jesus, and just telling him I love him, and I started singing that song. It was beautiful, so I just wanted to kind of share that with you and enjoy that with you this morning, but don't let that be abnormal. Obsess over him. Obsess over God, but we won't always want to. But it's what we were created to do. And it actually unlocks so much in our relationship with God. So I want to end by sharing the lyrics to a song by Benjamin William Hastings called That's the Thing About Praise. He says, It don't always fix your problems, but it'll tell you how small they are. That's the thing about praise. It won't always move the mountains, but it's good for the heart. That's the thing about praise. You never know what it's going to change, but it always, it'll always leave a mark. That's the thing about praise. I might see walls start falling, or it might just change my heart. That's the thing about praise. Praise, obsessing over God, is always good for our hearts. Obsessing over God, praise is what begins to change our hearts and then starts to change our whole lives. So you want to be a man of God? You want to be a woman of God? Obsess over him. Let's pray. Jesus, we do love you. And I, I just pray for those moments where we, the last thing we want to do is praise you, that you would help us do it anyway, that we would be like David, in Psalm 103, who just tells his soul, hey, bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord. Forget not his benefits. And so I just pray that we would be people 
that even as, as life rattles us a bit and things around us are just crazy, that we would turn to you and praise you in the midst of it. You are always worthy of our worship, Jesus. I pray that our obsession with you is what would defeat sin in our lives. That obsession with you is what would, would, would quelch, would, would just, just pour cold water on all of the things in our lives that are keeping us back, that are holding us down. I pray that obsession with you would just, would just wash over so many things in our minds and our hearts and our lives, Jesus. We thank you that you are more than worth obsessing over. I pray that as we praise you now, we just enjoy it. We thank you for this privilege, for this, this right that we can approach you. And we can do it unashamedly. Praise, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.